0: I'm Kim Grendelts of Dogman.com with University of Washington Athletic Director. I would call you Jennifer, but there's only a couple people to get away with that. But it, it's Jen Cohen. Who calls you Jennifer, by the way? getting
1: Gittinger, one of our um, wonderful Thai Club donors, always calls me Jennifer. A um, couple best friends call me Jennifer. That's about it. Your dad? Uh, Jen Jen or Jen. Um, <laughs> Coach Pete? <laughs> Uh, I don't even know if I've heard him call me by my name. Uh, I think he calls me Jen. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's the Jenny one. I, I heard there's somebody out there that calls me Jenny from the block on social media. I think that one's hilarious. Keep at it, bro. <laughs> have
0: you been have you have you been tested for COVID?
1: Multiple times. Yeah.
0: What was the first time?
1: Uh, first time. Like what? Which type of test? Yeah. First that, First time. Yeah. Uh, first time was coming back from Vegas and Palm Springs right when COVID hit when I was travelling for work. We were down in Vegas. Yeah. I got tested when I got home from that and that was the way up in your brain one.
0: People have no idea what that's like. No, we
1: don't have to do those anymore. You we have the uh the better ones now. You can you can give it you can give yourself the test through a nasal swab.
0: You um I the tests were shipped on Monday. That's a different
1: test. That's Quidel. Yeah, that's guys, the antigen testing. Test. Do you guys have them? We do. We have four machines. Uh, Rob and our medical team are getting trained up on them so that they can start using them next week with our student athletes. They, according to Rob, they can pump out about a hundred tests between the four of them in an hour. Wow. Um, we're going to do backup. So this is you know there's a testing strategy here, which is da- daily antigen testing. But we also still have access at the university uh, for PCR testing, and we plan on using a hybrid approach of daily antigen testing complemented with PCR tests as well.
0: I, has Rob told you if how hard this training is? Is it's like learning how to run a TV well, remote? Or is I is mean, it- I've heard it's Rob?
1: detailed, um, but I also... Rob is like the perfect person uh, for this time because he is... You know, you know, Rob, he was our head athletic trainer for football for many years. But he's a tremendous leader and he's just the best in, in, in change and in crisis. Calm, cool, collected, hardest worker. So he's, you know, any, anything that we throw at him is challenging. He's going to think it's great and he's going to figure it out. So that's how he feels about the Quiddell test now. We're good.
0: Kim Harmon has been, um, huge in this. Big Tell time. people, I don't think people know who Kim is and what yeah, she is.
1: Yeah, I mean, does. Kim Harmon's a, uh, with UW... UW Med, and she's been our head football team doc for several years. In addition to that, she's got a role with the Pac-12, um, both as a as a, you know a, an employment role and then also as a Pac-12 medical advisor. Uh, she's also a mother of, of sons and is a huge college football and high school football person. So yeah, she's been actively involved um, with our Pac-12 medical group uh, since even pre-COVID with grants and research and areas like concussion, um, and then has been a tremendous leader, and coming up with a way, I mean, those guys worked their their angles to try to get access into this testing plan, because they felt like once we could have daily testing, that they were going to be confident that we could play football again.
0: You know, we've been doing this for 20 years, 23 years to be exact, and I've been on the sidelines most of those years, but it's kind of crazy to me to see the passion, somebody like Kim Harmon or Rob, they're actual football fans. Yeah. Which makes a difference.
1: They are. They're fans of football and they're fans of our kids. They're fans of our program. They're fans of Seattle. They're fans of our community. They know how important this program is to a lot of people, not just our student athletes. And so then they're doers, you know. I mean, Kim is a, she's a pretty aggressive doctor. So I knew pretty early on when she was concerned and that there was going to be Um, a lot of diligence in this, that there was a reason for it, and that I trust her um, so much. And also Dr. Dresner, you know, who is a team doc with the Seahawks, is also one of our docs and was really involved um, with the assessment of the plan as well.
0: Yesterday, they voted to start the season. Um, It seemed like two things really got the ball rolling to get the season going. Um, The first was getting the um, Quidel test. Correct. And the second thing that seemed to really spur things on, and I don't know if it was a coincidence or it had an impact, was the letter the USC football players wrote. How much impact did that letter have? I think it
1: helped because I think you're right. I think what's been lost a little bit in the complexity of our conference is that testing was a big obstacle for us to overcome. It was part of the plan. It was something we couldn't get. So that's why the presidents weren't comfortable with us moving forward. But the other piece was that we have a lot of schools that were in counties and in states where there was a lot of opposition to them even being able to train, let alone get into high-risk contact. And so I do believe that those young men voicing their desire to play at USC to to the governor was incredibly impactful. Our students' voices are always heard, and right now they're heard more than ever. Um, And I think the political side of getting the county and state support across our conference schools was a huge obstacle that we were able to overcome, and I, I'd like to give credit to those student athletes for, for them helping push that forward.
0: Yeah, in getting things going, not, I've talked to a lot of people, but it seems like you know with the Pac-12 officials and Larry Scott, he answers to the presidents, but he deals with the athletic directors the most but how much influence did the athletic directors of the conference have in getting this thing going? Because it just seemed like when they announced the Quidel test and other athletic directors were mentioned that they didn't even know that this happened, and they got a couple hours' notice. How much impact and influence did the athletic directors have in getting this going? On this
1: decision to move forward? Yeah. um, Significant because we're the ones that are educating our bosses around the pros and cons to any complex decision that they're going to make. And so um, the ADs have, we meet at least three times a week and have been since basically March. This last week in preparation for uh, the CEO's meeting yesterday, we met every day, sometimes twice a day, and to just provide support and counsel to Larry and to his staff and then to our bosses and trying to get as much information to simplify this decision as much as we could so that they could be confident um allowing us to move forward. So there's a lot of players involved, you know, in making sure that um we're running this league the way that we need to and our uh, REDs are really committed to doing the part that we can, can control.
0: When um you there was a report out on the internet, and you know if it's on the internet, it's true. Oh, it says
1: all factual these days. Uh, <laughs>
0: the original vote was seven to five against not starting, so and UW was, and Washington was one of the no votes. That
1: is absolutely well. First, had of, you heard that by the way? No, I didn't even know that. I wasn't in the room um, because we we, we sometimes are, um we meet with our presidents before they go into executive session, which we did last Friday in preparation for them to make a decision, and then they wanted some some time to evaluate some things, and we weren't with them at all yesterday. But I can assure you that President Kause was supportive of us moving forward, going into the meeting yesterday, and um, all I've heard is that it was a unanimous yes in that meeting. I don't think that that must be factual, that I, vote.
0: I, I'm only, I've dealt with Anna Maria a little bit, and I've heard a lot of people, and everybody's got you know high regard for her. Yeah, She's got so much on her plate that football people have no comprehension of the bigger issues that she's got to deal with how much time did she really have to devote to this she's always
1: dedicated time when it matters the most to athletics she understands how important it is to the university and um, she's a student president you know she cares about students and so she cares about our student athletes so we've been in constant conversations about ICA every week since march and she always i mean in preparation for any meeting or any discussion or anything that comes up, it's a quick text. Hey, do you have five minutes for me? Do you have 15 minutes for me? It is a quick response, and she's always accessible. She was very well prepared for this situation.
0: There's a lot of work that's going to have to be done to get things going, mm-hmm. but um, there's been games canceled. Yeah. Do you have any idea what the criteria would be? to if a game is scheduled to not play that game we don't know that
1: yet i've been asked that a couple times i think you know some of the games that are canceled are not canceled because of a threshold criteria they've been canceled because they don't have enough players in certain position groups to even be able to compete so i think this next week we'll be able to flesh out we've looked at some concepts but flesh out some um priorities around that i also am hopeful though that and i I don't know i think any we don't know what the future is going to hold but that the, this is the most aggressive testing program that any school's going to have. The schools that decided to go without as much testing, we don't know if that's part of the issue for them having to cancel games. If you're testing every day, you might have the opportunity to have less spread. That's the whole goal. And if you have less spread, you might not have the issue of being able to, you know, or you might not have an issue of not having enough players to compete.
0: This isn't a matter of just turning the light switch on yeah. and playing football. There's a lot that needs yeah. to be done. And you furloughed a lot of people in the athletic yeah. department. Where yeah. are you at with that? And when are they coming back? Yeah. And well, how difficult is this staffing? Yeah, actually?
1: I mean, this is going to be difficult all year because um, we just have to do more with less. It's just our reality financially as a, as, a, as a department. That being said, our furloughs were strategic. And the furloughs that we made... Um, are not necessarily uh, need to be changed based on the decision that was made yesterday. Uh, we do have flexibility though in our last round of personnel decisions that we made that any decision that we made there's flexibility from an HR standpoint to change that plan so we can if we need to. Um, we didn't furlough everybody at the same time for our whole department. We had strategies on when people were gone and we have a plan to um, move forward. We also did not furlough anybody that was related to the medical support and the preparation. We didn't have people in the football office furloughed or anything like that. Like our our teams and our coaches and the support staff that they need to get them ready to compete are all intact in our department already.
0: What would you say the um, I don't know atmosphere or a feeling you know within the athletic department? Is it anxious, fear? You know
1: what? What's think, the general? You know, I you know. this has been a. Um, that we we all have this roller coaster image we send to each other all the time. I mean, it's been a very difficult time for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons, right? In our state, and our country, and um, our staff has felt that. You know, their passion, was they work in our department to give students an opportunity to fulfill their dreams, and that's all been gone. And you know, people have lost jobs and lost incomes, and. Um, There's a plan one day, it's a different plan the next day, right? We're all on this roller coaster ride together. So I was able to see some of my staff last night, and I think it was like, hey, we got a win. We need to celebrate it. Uh, I think that uh, when you're so used to losing every day, like we felt like we've just lost every day in a battle, we have not had a lot of good news um, for a long period of time. Um, people are super excited, and they're kind of just like, is this really happening? can we really trust that this is really happening? And, you know, my point is we can. It's a path forward, and let's just enjoy taking the step every day until something changes, and then we'll adjust again.
0: One of our subscribers had a great question wanted me to ask you yeah. if you've um, decided a punishment for those get caught sneaking into the stadium <laughs> for a game.
1: Yeah. Do you know how many people have already texted me like, hey, can I hide in your closet? <laughs> Dylan, you know, my youngest son's a 15-year-old. He's a football player, and he's just like, how can we get all my friends in the suite? Still, I'm like, oh, this is not how this thing's gonna go. But yeah, I don't know how we're gonna deal with the logistics and no fans. I just, you know, there was a trade off in this decision for the CEOs, and I think the fan. And again, it wasn't in the room, but I think the fan piece was one of those. Um, it's hard to imagine Husky Stadium without our Husky fans in the stands. And I know our kids want to play in front of fans. We're gonna work really hard to try to allow for with our county their their families to come um that's going to be a goal but um yeah it's weird um but you know our fans will be able to watch us on tv i mean the majority of the games should all be on fox and espn in this model and we'll hopefully have a schedule here in the next week
0: i know you know with as many people out there struggling there's people you know they kind of avoid looking at their checkbook and their savings account yeah. and their 401ks and everything yeah. um uh, when you look at the Unless budget. Unless they when,
1: work at Amazon. And then they're like, sweet.
0: <laughs> when you're looking at the budget, you just kind of go,
1: God. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things, you know, we are a very thoughtful, responsible athletic department. We, we, you know, Kate came from Foster. She has, you know, higher ed CFO experience. And, you know, it was our goal, you know, it was an expectation that we stabilize this place so that we could you know move forward and we all know that we saw what happened here when we did that when we made our decisions and we worked our asses off and our donors and fans stepped up and just helped change the game for us we saw the results of that we stabilized our department we invested back in our programs our teams were winning they were doing well off the field all there's a direct correlation between finances and our success there just is and so Um, We're trying to, we feel like we've been way more aggressive in cuts than other schools that don't have reserve funds, that have, you know, less favorable financial outcomes coming than we are. And we're doing that strategically so that we can recover faster. We're not doing it in the ways that are going to hurt us in football. That's not the deal here. We're going to invest in football. And we're going to invest in basketball. And so we got to do these tough things now so that we can rebound. In the future and keep investing in those programs and all of our programs
0: you know people are most focused on football and then basketball but how do these budget implications impact the other sports yeah
1: it's just been massive for everybody our coaches have been awesome though you know like there are certain guiding principles for our decision making and finances that we stood true to so we didn't take any resources away from any team so all of our student athletes still have access to academic support they all have their scholarships they still actually even have their parking that we're paying for, all their medical expenses, career development, compliance. All those services remain true for all of our student-athletes and all of our programs. Our coaches are going to have to get creative with their travel schedules this year. And honestly, a lot of the expense reductions are because we don't expect that all those games are going to be able to be played and all that travel is going to be able to happen.
0: Like softball? When yeah, I saw that.
1: Like, I just don't know, we don't know what non-conference is going to look like and what the travel is going to look like. So they're going to have to figure out how to make that work with with less. But overall, the fundamental things that are most important to the students' experience and most important for those teams to be competitive, you know, are intact right now. What the future holds, I don't know. You know, that's that's what scares me the most um, is, you know, that's why we're so proactive and being aggressive in cuts is that we want to be able to come out of this thing. And if we sit on our heels and hope it's all going to work out without making tough decisions i just don't think we're going to recover
0: with the nca adding a year of eligibility for pretty expensive. much everybody i was just going to it was just something one more budget item it on your desk and how's you that know, impacted And,
1: you know it really hit us first in the spring and you know you don't have to do it by the way it's a choice it's just permissible
0: when you say it's an option for the university yes, itself
1: it is it's a permissible thing that you can do permissibly Whether a school does it or not, it's two different. At UW, we were doing it. We did it for all of our spring sports. It was over a million bucks. And then now this is happening in the fall. The fall's different now because they're going to have competition. Our fall sports are going to play in the spring. And they can play for a championship, but they can still get another year. Which that surprised me as a decision, I'll be honest, from an NCAA standpoint. Because our student-athletes in those sports are getting a championship and our student athletes in the spring sports didn't get championships. So we'll have to, you know, there's two things. There's the budget impact, which, you know, we're all about giving students opportunities. We'll figure that out. But then there's a roster management aspect. And really, there there aren't enough spots always for kids. And so coaches really have to work through that. Because you also, somebody pays in this deal. There's a price to be paid. And is it incoming recruits and lost opportunities for them? So our coaches are going to have to work through how that's going to work. We figured it out by spring, the fall is a little foggy and unclear for us, and it's going to take some time to figure that out with our coaches.
0: You know, the whole We United, United We Stand, United We Are Uh movement, you know, and... Pac-12 United? Yeah, the implications on that. I'm not sure people understand that uh, the expense of an athlete on scholarship and what the benefit is. I mean, if you were to line item... um, the cost of a student athlete for a year. Yeah. Uh, what would it be? Well,
1: the variable, it varies a little bit based on in-state or out-of-state, but some of the assessments we've done of the value of being a full ride scholarship student athlete, let's say you're out of state at UW and the investment we make over a four year period is about a million dollars per kid. When you add up the uh, academic support, medical support, mental health services that we provide, uh, career development services that we provide, uh, international experiences that we could provide. You know, you go down the list, the food, the fuel bar, the strength and conditioning, the sports performance. So um, I understand. And, I, and, you know, those at UW, we had two student-athletes that were involved in that. And they had different issues for why they were passionate about it. You know, Ty was really passionate about social justice issues, as he should be, and and, and I think some to a certain degree, compensation issues. I think Joe was more focused on that. But I don't think that... Um, and I don't dis- necessarily disagree that students, you know, you know, want to try to have more money in their pocket. It's expensive in Seattle. Like, I think we take great care of our students. So I don't I don't disagree or disrespect it. I just think there's a lot of lack of education, not just with our student athletes and with our department, but in the media and in the kind of optics. Like, like, and I think people get hung up on coaches. So that's the next argument. Well, the coaches, well, our code football coaches are like 5% of our overall budget. So that's not, that's, that's, that's actually not, if you're talking about, that doesn't make, that's not the argument. So, um, you no. know, we just gotta keep doing a better job at, at our schools across the country of uh, making sure that our student athletes are prepared for life after college and that they uh, they value the experiences they have, and they realize that that's launched them into something even better.
0: I couldn't help but think, and I wasn't the only one that, you know, Coach Pete was really good about bringing in outside speakers yeah. to explain stuff, yeah. you know, just not yeah. football related. Yeah. I mean, has there ever been a discussion with the athletes, here's what it costs, yeah. and by the way, it's tax-free? <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. We, were, we actually just talked about this. So one of, the, one of my regrets is that we do a lot of engagement with our student-athletes. So like our WASA group, we're very engaged um, structurally with students in our department and in our conference but one of the things that i've never done that i've always wanted to do is like a kind of a husky athletics finances 101 because we do that every every staff meeting our whole department has to sit and learn and understand the business of our I think department. the fans would even be interested in that I know, know i think so we're talking about maybe doing kind of like some town hall stuff for the fans this fall and then um, Looking at some sort of educational system for our students, I, I'll be honest. The thing that I've always struggled with it is when you see it, it becomes very clear the the off balance isn't the football coaches' salaries. The off balance in revenue generation to expense is is football revenues supporting other student athletes' experiences. And how do we reconcile and explain to student athletes that one shouldn't feel less valuable than the other because the sport themselves generates more. So that's kind of been where my struggle has been a little bit, but we clearly have to do a better job. I, mean, I love this stuff. I think this is great. When, when students have questions and stuff, it's awesome. And, and they see things differently. It's important that this is their program. You know, we need to know how students are experiencing us, and then let's sit down and have conversations. I just don't understand why people have to use no conversations in social media, and this is, starts with the adults, to try to solve big problems. It's not how we're
2: going to solve it. Selling a little or a lot. Podcast, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast.
0: What was the hardest day in the last six months? What was that one day that you just wow, shook they, your head and, have and been just
1: been so many hard days? Um the just, I I would say the Sending everybody home in the spring. Just sending everybody home. Because at that point we didn't know enough. And it just it was you know, not being able to have, you know, spring football and seeing like sis and Taryn and all those women and our women's rowers and everybody compete for championships. That was brutal. And then the the day that the decision was made by the CEOs to not play football.
0: You've um
1: Because I knew how much that was going to impact so many people's lives.
0: There's just been so much going on. Yeah. And you got a kid in high school and one you sent off to college. Yeah. So yeah. you get a little bit different perspective for those do. who don't have kids. And, uh, and by the way, both of them are big Husky football fans.
1: Huge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, what's it been like dealing with your kids and just seeing not only them, but their friends and how they cope with this. Stuff? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that's one of been my biggest driver for trying to get, to keep the athletic department accessible for student athletes starts with my understanding of the mental health that this crisis has taken, the, the impact that this crisis has had on mental health for students, young people. I've watched my sons the impact it's had negatively on their academic experiences, their athletic experience. My my son missed his senior baseball season, you know, around to try to go win a championship. I've seen their friends, I've seen how they they have really taken a toll in this thing. And so it's been my goal to to not have that happen for our student athletes. That's why sending them home was so brutal. Because even in this model now, before we, we got approved for competition, we had committed. All of our student-athletes, all 650 student-athletes, we had a plan by the start of the quarter to have all of them back in our footprint for training and just so that they could have community and support. So um, it's I'm just, I look at my work pretty much all the time from the lens of being a mother, and my kids have helped me kind of get, they do help me understand what kids are going through. I also think my kids have taught me about how hard this is to get young people to think about like staying healthy. I mean my son's two days into Charleston. I'm still in Charleston last week and he calls and is like, oh you want to go work out? And I'm at the hotel I'm thinking, Oh my God, this is so cute. He wants to see his mom. He just moved in the dorms. So great. And then it was like the mom light went on like right after that. I was like, why is he coming over here? Why does he want to work out? And he sits down with his toothy little smile. He's like, I got busted last night. I had girls in my room. And I'm just like, day two. <laughs> Day two, you cannot, and I I had given him a lecture, like, less than 10 people, you're probably going to be fine, if you have 10, you're going to get expelled, this is how this whole thing's going to go, and he had less than 10, so he was listening, but, um, so I also understand how hard it is to be a college student and try to live through covid
0: How long did it take for you to figure out that the kids are more resilient than the adults? Oh,
1: I've known that forever. (laughs) You know, student-athletes at UW have taught me that a long time ago. You know, we lose, and I just felt like I was going to throw up all over the field. And then, you know, the next day you'd see those kids back at it again. And and my kids have taught me that, too. Tyson probably gives me more pep talks. You know, I'll talk about something that's bothered me at work, and he'll just come back with something, like, super logical and reasonable and thoughtful and... um, yeah, my kids have really driven it. You know that we went out, we were in the South. So when we were out, I took Dylan with me, and then we went and did a couple site visits to one school in particular that's been very successful <laughs> in football, Clemson, and I wanted to see how they were doing it. And so I was just out there last week with him and with Dylan, and you know, he was assessing with me what were our strengths as a football program, what is this a facility assessment of Clemson versus UW and what were some things we could work on. But what were some things that we were doing better? I mean, was, he's, he's helpful. Um, the
0: conference has just been taking a beating the last yeah. couple months, just PR-wise, yeah. just some really bad optics. And some of it's deserved, some of it maybe a little yeah. over the top. What yeah. what needs to happen in order for the conference to move forward to where it needs to go? Well,
2: one,
1: first of all, I think we need to win more in football and basketball. I mean... I think that if, we, if we're in a CFP, we've got a school in the CFP every year, and if we're in the Final Four in basketball, then I don't think people are talking about some of the things that they're talking about.
0: If Washington finishes the season 7-0 and oh, and there's talk about them not being in the college oh, football club. Go right. who's going who's to be screaming the loudest? First of is-
1: all, let me start with that means we beat Oregon. <laughs> um, Who won't have a bye against us this year. Thank you, covid um so yeah i mean there's a lot of different things and you're right i mean but th- i think there's a couple things i think one there are some things situationally with our conference the geography of our conference the academics of our conference the the politics within our region there's a lot of things that have been playing into the latest noise around our league there's certain things that make us really unique and different that are positive that are also negative when it comes to us being competitive and us having a Strong national brand um, but at the end of the day I think that um, the way that the conference has handled this situation
2: with a medical
1: group that's been consistent the entire time people might not want to like it but I don't know how you can argue with how it's been managed I mean it was consistent the whole time I mean nobody's wavered and the and the and the league stayed you know the the, the 12 schools stayed true. And we didn't have like the big 10 situation where we had football coaches that clearly think they're presidents of universities. I mean, that's when bad happens at places.
0: When, um, you, um, have had conversations with Chris Peterson about (laughs) this stuff, (laughs) you smile and laugh. Your Uh relationship, people don't, really know Chris Peterson tell me about Chris and how he's helped you along with this
2: I think and how
0: much is he involved
1: uh, he's so one of the I I, you know I tried to kind of almost hint to this a little bit in his press conference when he left one of my greatest disappointments um for Chris as his time as a head coach was how little people on the outside really knew him and I felt like coach Pete was very misunderstood publicly and it bothered me so much because he is single-handedly one of the most greatest influencers on my life ever in my entire life because he's a phenomenal leader and an incredible teacher and he's fun and cool and interesting and smart so um, he's been great you know we were in Vegas together when this thing happened he came to Vegas with us to go to the pac basketball, basketball tournament and um
0: sitting with you and lincoln kennedy uh, yeah yeah.
1: and then we had dinner and we're like what's this COVID thing and then here we are and um from every step of the way i mean he's just a phone call um for me so I, I, i usually do talk to him every week um there might be a gap where i don't um he's doing work with our head coaches so he's doing kind of some coaching of coaches He's just a great resource for me to talk to about anything. He has no agenda with what's going on in our department or what's going on at the conference level or what's going on nationally with college football. He's just got great insight. Um, He's a calming influence. He's got great books and just mindset work that we can do. So um, he's just a really special human being, and he's loving the work he's doing at Foster. And he's just kind of dabbling a lot of different stuff. And he's just, he's just a gem of a resource for you.
0: Statute of limitations has expired when Steve Sarkeesian stepped down. It was kind of, I think <laughs> it was on a Monday. Yeah. And um, people were freaking out that it was taking so long. Because I think Chris was hired on Thursday. And we had somebody tracking your plane. On the, by the
1: seat. way, that was the fastest search. <laughs> I mean, now these guys hire these search firms and take forever. Oh Yeah, we did have the plane tracked. That's right. There was like people in the bushes or something too, I think. Yeah. It wasn't us. Yeah.
0: But, but did you remember when, um, you knew this is our guy and yeah. when you met him and when yeah. he finally said, okay, yeah. can you just give us a little bit? Of insight? Yeah.
1: So, you know, um, high profile coaching hires are probably a little bit different than what fans think that they are. A lot of times, most of the work is done prior to you even meeting the coach so Chris was very well known, right? I mean, he was a very well known guy. He was—I want to say that was Sark was announced Sunday. Chris was high on Scott's list. Tuesday we were getting—you uh, what you do is you get um, the lawyers and/or agents phone numbers. You don't call the coach. You, you go through people, and I was getting some calls inbound about him, um, like from Skip Paul, and I feel like Baladi maybe called me or somebody else. And, um, so we were like tracking around the same time with him, like his interest. He, like they called, we called, and then we, that was a Tuesday. And I think we were supposed to fly out and meet him to interview him on a Friday. We moved that up a day. We had already, we had determined that he was our guy before we ever met him. And, um, we had agreed to almost all the terms of his employment before we ever met him. So when we went and interviewed him, he... The deal was done that night. And I remember getting in the car afterwards. Well, just like, first of all, he's just like so direct. And so he was unlike any football coach I'd really ever been around. And uh, I just thought it was awesome. And it was a no-brainer. And we got in the car afterwards. And that's and this was such a classy Chris Pearson move. Before he left, he said, all I ask is that I can talk to my team. And my university has been so good to me for so long. And we said, absolutely. And then we get in the car and it's all over Twitter already. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, I'm, John. Him. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know how this happened. And so, but Scott and I were laughing so hard because we flew home and it was just the two of us. A donor had helped us use a plane. And, um, and then all this stuff on Twitter is like, oh, he didn't take the job. He didn't fly home with them. I'm like, who are these people? Like, you don't fly. The guy didn't kidnap him. But we had, I, I literally slept with that signed MOU. I mean, it was exhilarating. And, um, but I will tell you, I had no idea in that moment when we hired him how transformational he was beyond football. I mean, he exceeded all expectations as far as leadership goes. And just setting a tone of excellence that was well above what I had envisioned when I met him.
0: When we ask people who know Mike Hopkins their best Mike <laughs> Hopkins story, they never hesitate. They always have one. What's your best Chris I, Peterson story? Oh,
1: my best Chris Peterson story. Oh, no, I still get nervous like I can't tell stories about <laughs> it. There's something about coach p where we're all just like oh my gosh he was vanilla ice once as in a dress so he loves dress up did you know this no he loves um theme dress up parties and so him and Barbara really get into it and they had every year when he was head coach and this started when he was at boise they would host a party for the staff and um, they'd have a theme every year and then you'd have to dress up. Well, I hate dress up. I hate Halloween. I can't do anything. it. He so much pressure. And people are really creative. There's like prizes and stuff. So one year he was vanilla ice and he had the soul patch. And he looked just like him, just like him. And then one year he was the Dr. Pepper guy, <laughs> you know, with the train. on <laughs> those commercials during like college football game day. So that's something that people maybe don't know.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One of the cool things that happened this week. One of the really really cool things things
1: happened this
0: week. No, I'm going to tell you one of the cool things that happened. Jimmy Lakeshill back on KJR. How big, I mean, it almost feels like they're back home. And even though, you know, we do work with KJR, I thought it was really cool and it felt different.
1: Yeah, I mean... Our fans follow us via KJR and those guys are so informed. I mean, Softy and Dick and everybody associated with the station, they are so well educated on Husky football and and football in Seattle and this region and our university. And I just think that 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 you feel that in the way that they cover us and and broadcast. There's a lot of great things that are going to happen because of the partnership. Obviously, you know, Damon and Tony are going to be on all day tomorrow, and that's just great too. So, yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, obviously, we had dreams of launching that partnership with a different format than where we are right now, but um, hats off to them for the coverage that they're already giving us.
0: Um, Everybody's been focusing on football, but basketball starts November 25th. What do we need to know about basketball?
1: Um, and fine. how's Coach Hopman? He's awesome. I just talked to him today. He's great. He's great. Um, you know, he's, you know, one thing that people don't realize is how well respected he is in the league. You know, he's a real voice of reason and a leader with those coaches and um, he's just an optimist and, and Jimmy's been the same way. I mean, I was talking to, to beat this. Like, I could not, and we could not have asked for two better head coaches in football and men's basketball than what we had right now during this crisis. I mean, both guys have just been nimble and positive, and focused on their students, and just like competitive, and we've you know just all that. So hops juiced, as you can imagine. Um, we expect that um, Pac-12 season will probably be about twenty games, eighteen, twenty. I think we're I think we're going with twenty though. Um, we it may start before January. Pac-12. The coaches, you know, as you know, um, in basketball, the coaches still do their scheduling. So they're working through their non-conference schedule right now based on a 25th start and how many games are going to be able to get in before we start conference play. So we don't know that yet. We don't have all that figured out, but that's what we're starting to work on. And we have a look-in with the presidents. Um, so if things improve, we may be able to have fans starting in January for basketball.
0: And then with football, um, this was a year where you had four home games and four road games in conference. Are you anticipating that for this to have uh, an extra road game as opposed to?
1: I don't know. We don't know the plus one yet. We'll have three and three, and then we don't know what the plus one location is going to be. Um, for the, Are you talking about the, the, the extra game?
0: Yeah, everybody's asking about the schedule, but I'm yeah. guessing that's still... A yeah, we don't board. know yet. But so basically,
1: what all we know right now is that we're playing our, um, our North opponents plus a crossover game. And that it's going to be split three home, three away.
0: Oregon game will be in Eugene? Yeah, it'll, it'll
1: be in Eugene, but like, no fans, baby, <laughs> <stay laughs> let's
0: go! Will I be able to go?
1: I mean... I can't tell you how happy I am with the double combo of no buy and no fans (laughs) in Eugene.
0: I get you in trouble. It is
1: just like, (laughs) honestly, it's Christmas right now. (laughs) Um, and so yeah, and so, and I don't know. We don't know who we're gonna open with. You know, somebody can play on Friday night on this thing because they have it November sixth, not the seventh. And then we'll have hopefully we're not hopefully we're playing in the conference championship. Um, but that day that there's conference championship that weekend we'll have mm-hmm. an extra game i don't know who the opponents are 9 a.m
0: are. start time is that's all
1: it's actually on the table but it's still an opportunity for schools to evaluate it's not being in my from what i've heard it's not being forced on any school uh, i told softy earlier today like if this was the year to do everything <laughs> and get it out of the way and not have to worry about it the next year we'll play every game on a friday night <laughs> we'll plan a Thursday night. As long as it doesn't negatively impact our fans and our kids are ready to go. But, um, yeah, I think th- those 9 a.m.s are probably a little bit more realistic for the mountain schools because they're 10 there. So, yeah.
0: One other cool thing happened this week. I got home last night and I turned on the football game. And number 37, Miles Gaskin was oh, starting the for man. the Miami Dolphins. Oh,
1: see, like, my cable's not working. I can't see anything. I, I mean... Engine, engine number nine. Like, could it could it happen to a better person? I mean, he is the greatest. I mean, we already know Miles Gaskin, right? I mean, yeah. we saw him for four years, durable, tough. I mean, just just the epitome of like the kind of person you want to coach. It's awesome.
0: I, because you're like a mom to a lot of these guys, yeah. but the other thing yeah. was, uh, Buda Baker signing that I know. big contract. Well, what do you yeah. think when you heard that?
1: I just thought, good for him. I mean, like, Here's a kid that's done everything right, you know. Hardest worker, so disciplined, just a complete class act. You know, worked his tail off. You know, he deserves it. I mean, and it's all, and he's a husky. How cool is that? I mean, and, and I'm just as proud though too. When we have kids that get their first job and or get a promotion at their work that aren't playing national football either. I mean, I think it's it's just it's great to see. Like, we just had a tie board meeting, and we added a young tie to the group, um, Josh Fredendahl, and I always call him Freddy. It was so weird having him on the call because now I'm a professional with him, and he's on the board now, and just seeing him grow since he graduated as a baseball player at UW, I mean, that's all you want is to see our, our women and men go on and do awesome things with their life, and then love being Huskies. That's what this whole thing is. That's what this is all about.
0: What have I not asked you that I needed to ask?
1: No fans. Anyone else about that?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I it's, mean,
1: it is what it is, right? Um, I think that it's hard. There's a couple things we and maybe did we cover the fact that we like try to have players' families there.
0: No, but okay. I, we saw that on Twitter. Yeah.
1: So basically, there's a resolution that the presidents did that I don't think has come out publicly. We're actually trying to get a copy of it too, but. That um, they address that um, there won't be band and cheer in the stands for our games, uh, there will be no fans, but that per county and state guidelines that we could allow for players' guests, permissible by and That was really important for the athletic directors, really important for me. Uh, our student athletes they can't play in front of fans. That's very disappointing, and but they have to have a chance to play in front of their families. And so we have to work on that with our county to figure out a way to do that with the restrictions that we have right now. We have some times as we won't have a game at least until the first week of November. But, um, and then the no fan thing, I think, was more, um, well, maybe here we could have, we wouldn't have been able to probably start with fans. Maybe we could have worked on that. We've been working with, we had every socially distanced stadium model you could possibly imagine. Like, I think I saw 14 at one point in time. We've been in partnership with the Seahawks and the Cougs for months trying to figure out a way to work together to have a way that all of us could eventually have fans. Um, But I think it became a deal breaker for certain schools. And for us, it was like we would give that up if that meant we could still play football. Ideally, we would have been able to have fans, too. But I think we'll just... You know, everybody would be hungry to finally get back into that stadium and tailgate and have a great experience in the, in the following year.
0: Michigan game didn't happen this year. I'm yeah. anticipating it happening next year. I,
1: I anticipate us going there, and I actually have a check-in call with Ward next week to talk about up, upcoming years. Their there's schedule is tricky, and so's ours, but I have some creative ideas. I want to get them here sooner rather than later.
0: Anything else scheduling-wise or is just everything no. just kind of no. thrown in the blender, right? now? It <laughs> is a
1: mess out there. Uh, We do. We need opponents for twenty-two and twenty-three. And
0: nobody wants to come here.
1: They never do, you know. I'm so my my feelings about football in general. And this kind of goes back to some of the issues around the perception around our league is that this is a bigger topic. But I, I, and I, I, I think the CFP has been amazing. I think it's worked. I really want to see an expansion, and I want to see conference champions in a playoff hunt. And I think that if you had that, what would happen is you'd see more schools being willing to take more risks in their non-conference scheduling. Because right now, you know, Oregon loses to Auburn, and it's like, oh, you know, it's a season over. You know, it, we, we, we got to have non-conference opponents that prepare us for our conference and also that our fans can be excited about that don't kill a season for everybody. And so – and also those bye games are becoming – so expensive that they economically don't work for a lot of schools anymore based on the revenue you can generate for a game. So I'd love to see, I wish that we had more of a pro model or partnership model in scheduling. Right now it's a popularity contest, which makes it inequitable, than which makes the CFP inequitable to a certain degree. And so, you know, I'd like to see expansion. I would like to see some sort of partnership in scheduling. I'd like to see more power five, A5 opponents on our schedules, but I think you can't get there without expansion. Anything else? Appreciate you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Go dogs! let's play some football.
0: The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus.
1: What we'll brings you to the shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down. Walk right out to the side.
0: A new rain is coming to the south side.
1: Never should a sent a boy to do a woman's job.
0: The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com the Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.